Hello, everyone, and welcome to Photo Work with Sasha Wolf and Real Photo Show. Uh, this is a joint release episode, a wonderful conversation that I had with Vanessa Winship. Uh, and the reason for that is because Sasha was uh, dealing with some personal family matters. And so I stepped in uh, to have this conversation. But not to worry, Photo Work listeners, uh, Sasha will be back for the next episode. So Vanessa Winship and I have a really wonderful conversation, primarily about two books, She Dances on Jackson, published by Mac, and Snow, published in 2022 by Deadbeat Club. And if you are familiar with Vanessa's work, you know that we probably could have spoken for three hours about all of the many great books and works that Vanessa has produced over her long storied career. So in order to keep things manageable, I thought we would just talk about these two bodies of work that were made here in the United States, but one begun as an intentional proposal and the other as a response to an assignment. An assignment that was perhaps not the best fit for the kind of work Vanessa makes. And of course, Real Photo Show is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club, a monthly subscription service and an amazing way to add to your photo book collection. Also check out Charcoal Editions for reasonably priced gelatin silver prints from an expanding roster of artists. Check out Charcoal Book Club at charcoalbookclub.com and Charcoal Editions at charcoaleditions.com. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. And for those of you on Photo Work, again, Sasha will be back for the next episode. And those of you who listen to Real Photo Show, you're still stuck with me. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. And here is my conversation with Vanessa Winship. Hi, Vanessa. Thank you for joining me from... Where are you? <laughs> I, I'm in... Um, hi, Michael. Um, thank you very much for um, inviting me. I'm in a tiny, tiny village in Bulgaria called Mandritza. And uh, is this photo related? We have a, a place in, in Mandritza that we, we bought nearly, I guess it's 10 years ago now. It's in a village where many, many places are, are falling down. And we've been extremely slowly renovating mm. and slowly because we have very few practical skills. <laughs> it's um, a place with a long-term view to be able to run workshops from oh, and okay. eventually maybe to, to be here permanently. Of course, when we, when we bought them uh, originally, Brexit wasn't part of the... Uh, you lo- I mean, you you lost the connection to the European <laughs> Union. We, we well, I mean, we're we're still in Europe, but we're not in the European Union. Right. So before we get into the work and the books, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into all of this? Okay. So if I'm to go right, right, right back to the very, very beginning. Sure. I think it was um, as a little girl, I would go with my mum to my grandma's house every Thursday they would be together and one of the things that they would do was they would put me in front of my grandma's writing bureau and in that writing bureau there were a lot of old photographs and one of the pictures that in particular took my attention was this really extraordinary photograph of my grandmother and her family it's it was a wedding 
and mm. my grandmother was perhaps 13 or 14 years old. And as a little girl, it was very strange to me knowing that it was my, that it was actually my grandma who I knew as an old lady and, and seeing this image of her as a, as a young woman, at a, a young girl at a, a, a wedding. And, and I think that, that was the thing that maybe fascinated me was this distance between what I saw as, as my grandma and, and, and imagining her as a, as a young woman. I didn't actually um, have a camera until after my son, Joe, was, was born. And I think my partner, Joe's father and I, we had a very tiny little camera and, and the first pictures we took were these awful kind of out of focus <laughs> blobs, if you like. And, and, <laughs> and so we ended up buying a, a, a camera because it felt important to somehow document the beginning of the life of this child, our, our son. And then after that, we, I, I'm from a very small town in um, the north of England, and we ended up in Bristol. And I enrolled on a photography course at a technical college. Yes, but I suppose that's where it began for me. Well, the, at least the, the more formal training, certainly the, that early influence of the, the family album, the, 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 the importance of the family photo and the family album and how... Mm -hmm how there's this contextual idea of who a person is from two different times mm -hmm. that that I could see that in your work. I can see that in mm -hmm. the idea of and, and we'll get more into this later, but the the, the idea of walking that line between uh, documentary and fantasy mm -hmm. as well, the sort of spurring that imagination about the way you think something is, but the way also our minds experience things and create memories and and fantasy and the idea of possibility in the in the world. Oh, that's that's a really amazing way to describe it. And you studied photography, but d did I read that you went into film afterwards or got interested in film? Okay, so so after um maybe I think it was we we lived in Bristol for nearly 3 years and at that college one of the tutors had quite recently become uh, one of the lecturers at the Polytechnic of Central London, uh, which at that time in the early 80s was one of the few degree courses. And, and so the course, in fact, was actually film, video and photography. You actually elected what you were going to be doing. So, so actually before, you know, you... you um, as you were applying, you 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 said you were you were interested which of the disciplines you were interested in, but in the first year, everybody studied all of the disciplines. So we we studied film, video, and photography, and and mm. so I have I have some background in filmmaking, although although it's very very rudimentary, and we studied under very well known person, Victor Bergen, hmm. who was, I think, described as, as the, the father or the grandfather of, of conceptual photography. It was actually, his, his work had a lot of image and text. And perhaps that's where that interest in text was. 
Well, certainly the more conceptual idea of having text and photo where the text is fictional mm -hmm. and runs kind of parallel to the work uh, will come up later in our conversation with Snow. Mm -hmm. But just to finish up on the, the early years, uh, did, you, did you start working in photography or have some photo-related work after university? Um, wow, well, it's, it's a very uh, interesting question because I think at that time we were possibly the last, maybe the last of a generation whereby it, it was very much a time of experimentation. And mm. in many ways, there was very little, in a way, consideration of what happened afterwards. And um, one of the things that people ended up doing was either going back into academia, so back back into the school itself, or, or being, in a way, thrown out into into the into the world and it and it really wasn't a it wasn't a time of i mean it's a very very different world now that we live in in, in terms of people building cvs and um that really wasn't a consideration so in in many ways you're you you leave the the school and you're out in the big wide world and of and of course i hadn't um i hadn't joined the Polytechnic of Central London as an 18-year-old. I was nearly 24, so I, I wasn't exactly a, a mature student, but I al already had some life experience, meaning that I had a, I already had a, a, a child. And, and so al although being kind of, you know, let out into, into the world, I, I was already, I already had some life experience, if you like. Right. I had a, a similar experience. I graduated the School of Visual Arts in 1990. And I think I, I may have been the end of a kind of generation where there wasn't such an emphasis on uh, having gallery shows and uh, publishing books, or it was what, what were you going to do to make a living mm. now? And I think most many of my friends went into more editorial or documentary work, or like me, we, we found jobs that were more on the periphery of photography. Yeah, I, I, in, in many ways, um, Books and exhibitions were were almost not a consideration. I mean, I, I, it, mm -hmm. it's it's hard to imagine that in a certain way we we were we were really just exploring the the medium and so and so right. what to do and so and so in actual fact what we both did and when I'm saying what we both did I'm I'm speaking about my partner the photographer George Georgiou who I met at the Polytechnic of Central London. Um, we both taught for a little while, and we uh, on adult education classes, so so um, mm -hmm. darkroom practice and 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 this kind of thing. And then we would find work that facilitated us making our work. So I I worked at um, at Silverprint, which is a place where that sold photographic materials and 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 so on. And it was right. and, and several other ways of of making a a living in order to fund the work that we wanted to do. That's right. That was more the model. What could you do to support yourself to do the work you wanted to do where you weren't sure if anyone was really no, going to see the work or I, I, publish I, the work? Absolutely. I mean, in, in, in a certain way, you, you, um, you, yeah, you, you make, you make your work and hope that it, 
it might be of value or of interest to to the to the rest of the world and and um at, at least your friends. <laughs> <laughs> at least, yeah, at least, at least your friends. <laughs> and, uh, yes. So I thought we'd start talking about your work kind of in the middle. I wanted to ask you about She Dances on Jackson because I think of it as seminal work in your, your career, your life in, in photography. It's also work that came about after you received the Cartier-Bresson Award. But let me just ask you, where do you see that work in terms of the long arc of your successful career and if this work maybe marked a turning point? Oh, yeah, career. <laughs> I, I know, you probably don't like that word. It's, it's a, it, yeah, I, I, if I, listening to, to other people speaking, a lot of people are saying, yeah, career, it's a strange. Okay, so to, to try to, to answer, I, I, I think that perhaps... The work that I um, maybe became known for was the the work Sweet Nothings, mm. and I think that gained attention. And I think possibly that, in combination with the work from the Black Sea and the work I made in the Balkans, I, I, I think the work that I had made away from Britain, and and not not that that it's the only work that I've made. It's 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 work. For from 1998 onwards, but yeah. To, to to answer your question, then then I think that receiving the Henri Cartier-Bresson Award was the the most significant thing that had happened for me beyond those three works that I've mentioned. And I think that she danced on Jackson may possibly be maybe the most personal. Yeah. But but then, when I think about it, in a way, all the work that you make is is informed by your experience in and of the world, and 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 so you make work that you make around the things that that feel important because because in a way of your of your of your background, if that makes sense. Absolutely, and I think it it makes sense to. Think about your work on those terms that whether you were working on the work from the Balkans and the Black Sea or the work here in the United States and She Dances on Jackson or this latest work, Snow, mm -hmm. even though there's it's been written about in very different terms, I think there's a, a thread that connects all of them in the way you puzzle things together as using that the uh, camera as this tool for understanding. Yes, of course. I mean, we trying to fit the pieces together, trying to join the dots, trying to uh, comprehend and understand the, the world that, that we live in. In 2011, you did receive the, the Henri Cartier-Bresson Award, mm -hmm. and that award allowed you to then... Well, the, the award was designated to pursue a, a new photographic project. Was She Dances on Jackson an idea that came from you know, receiving that award, or, or was that something you had already started working on? No, it, it it wasn't something I'd I'd started working on, but just to um, just to to say when I when I put the proposal in, I, I essentially I, I I said that I hadn't worked in in the states before, but in fact I, I had worked in in the states. So so it, in a certain way, it was uh, no, it's not a continuation, but it's I wasn't entirely new to the to the states, but um, 
Yes, I hadn't. I hadn't begun the work is it, to, to answer your question, and I think that in actual fact, the foundation set a precedent in that they funded my proposal for a work that hadn't begun, and 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 that wasn't how they had normally funded work. So oh, it's okay. so uh, yes, in 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 a sense, they entrusted me with being able to fulfill the the project for want of a better word based on on what i had done in the past so in in mm. in a way you present a, an idea or a set of things that that are that feel relevant to contemporary society and yes they trust me and um hope that i will fulfill that duty mm-hmm. The book ends with this beautiful story of you observing these women dancing on a Jackson subway platform. Is that also the premise of the book? Um, Or is that isn't? That's the end of the 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 work. So in in a sense, the um, that piece of writing was actually right at the very end of of the or should I say, almost the end of the, the year. But no, I, the premise of the work, in actual fact, I think I'd originally, the original title had been out there, an American odyssey. And in many ways, it was an odyssey. But um, I'd framed the work, Search for the American Dream, and what that means. And I think um, my idea of the American Dream maybe is the dream of, of, of everybody, the idea of possibility and equality. And the, in, in many ways, it's, it's, it's something being sought all over the world. But um, I wanted to go to the, to the sort of source of that. Which is interesting because that also Brisson's America in passing and Frank's The Americans, they, yes. they also investigate those ideas, right? Sure. Absolutely. So then the, the, the essay about this witnessing this beautiful, intimate moment, mm-hmm. almost like I, when I read it, I thought, well, this is like, this is a reminder that we're not out there with the camera to, to interrogate, right? We're, we're, no, we're witnesses. I, absolutely. Yeah. It, was a, it, it is a beautiful way to, in, in the flow of the book, to look at the work and then read this essay and... Mm-hmm. And just think about what our role is as a photographer. I mean, I think that um, you know, I'm 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 constantly addressing and readdressing what it is that I do, and um, and and perhaps the I think really we are we're, we're witness. We are witness, and and I think that's the best way I can really consider it. And when I think about previous work in particular. The work in the in the Balkans, you know, what one of the things I, I I'd been interested in um, in Albania in particular, and um, from a from a great distance, and it was a place that was sort of inaccessible, and in a way, it was a hidden, if you like, and so it's between Italy and Greece, and 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 yet it was a place that we almost knew nothing about, and so for many years I. I read about Albania and um, and through the work of Ismail Kadere, a, a novelist, I was able to partly discover 
that place. But but to get to the point, and sorry, it's a very sort of long-winded. No, I, you know, I actually love you here. Love to hear you talk about the work from the Balkans and the Black Sea, and as well. So feel free. <laughs> so 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 when eventually the crisis and in. Um, Kosovo happened because within within the context of um, Albania, Kosovo is of course part of that conversation, and um, and so it was really time to 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 actually go to this place and to 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 see what it was that was happening, and there was nobody going to send me there. I didn't have support to go, and so in many ways it, it was the beginning of. Us, meaning George and I, going by car, in, in, in a sense, going under our own steam. Nobody's going to send you, so you, you send yourself. <laughs> and and, and <laughs> all the way through Albania, which at that particular point was in a very poor shape. It had just undergone anarchy, essentially, because of a, a pyramid scheme. Uh, basically, people had bought into this... Scheme. It, it 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 had been under um, a dictatorship for mm. more than more than fifty years, and then when that finally ended, people bought into this get 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 rich quick pyramid scheme, and of course everybody lost, or some people mm. gained, and 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 but most people lost everything, and so there had been anarchy, and so the place was in a terrible terrible state, and uh, the infrastructure of of um, Albania was pretty poor, and so I, I'm to, I'm talking about time here, and I'm talking about the length of time it it took to eventually get to the border of between Kosovo and Albania. It meant that I was able to consider what on earth I was doing. What am I doing? I'm I'm going in a direction, and people are coming in the opposite direction, and the possibility that I'm going to be facing. People who had lost everything, people who had lost family members, who had lost their homes, all of those things. I had to reconcile to myself what that meant. And to, to suddenly be there, you know, with, with my cameras and, and, and how, is, how is that going to be? And to face, and for those people to, to face you and actually... I, I think that was answered really very quickly in a way, meaning that um, they were not forgotten. Right. And, and in a certain way, there's a sort of catharsis in that. And and almost it's irrelevant what happened to those photographs, that you were actually there and that these people who had faced immense trauma, their situation might not be forgotten and and so i understood how important that is right and now i've lost the thread of you know of, what uh, so did i that's okay i <laughs> i i mean i think that's that's important and something to really think about we were and we were talking about our roles in the world when we were out photographing yeah. you know that we are these witnesses and yeah. so i think I think the point is is well made that there's there's this value of being there, and I still believe that's really important. And mm -hmm. and one of the things that um, that uh, I have done, I think, throughout my working life, 
in terms of observational work is I'm I'm absolutely silent. Most of the time you're you're really really silent. And I'm actually very good at that. Um listening and observing and but it became in a certain way it became problematic for me because the idea that that you're there and somehow you don't impact and trying to think about how to how to take responsibility for our gaze and so in a way that's why i began to make portraits in a more considered way mm-hmm. so so there's absolutely no no question that that what you're doing is a is a collaboration in a certain way meaning that there's a a direct conversation and so the viewer is faced with that does that make any sense at all absolutely there's there's that kind of distance you're talking about in your work mm-hmm. that changes with different with different bodies of work and absolutely that work in the the black sea where you're mm-hmm. trying to remove yourself from the image so to speak uh, even as as the viewer we are very much ob- observing and and then you, mm-hmm. you you're talking about the kind of portraiture you you do in, in sweet nothings where we are very much engaged mm-hmm. uh in this very frontal way in this very connected way with the people Absolutely. who are standing for you in the in those portraits um mm-hmm. and it's a physical distance it's also an emotional distance and a perceptual distance that we have when looking at the work Absolutely I mean to go back again what I should say e- even with observational work and even with the the silent work of course you're always in conversation with with people you're you're constantly in conversation with people but the actual photographs that you that we as the audience see the perception is that that there's been no contact and 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 so in a, in a certain way there's a sort of yeah. mis, misunderstanding if you like I, so, and I so, think so, the way your sometimes your work is written about I think that there sometimes is that misunderstanding and and I think the thread that connects your work regardless of the physical distance, regardless mm-hmm. of whether we are looking into people's eyes or not, is, and if mm-hmm. if you don't agree, just say so. I think there's a real kindness and care and tenderness and thoughtfulness and concern you have for the landscape, for the people, for the, the places you're photographing, regardless of this more kind of style idea of distance or not in the photograph. Uh, and I think that connects all your work. Uh, thank you. I, I hope so. You know, I, I, I battle with trying so hard to correctly, if there's ever a thing, represent well the people and the place that you happen to be, to be in. It's, it's, yeah, it's so important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And she dances on Jackson. Mm-hmm. I think that's it's very evident that you're you're actually doing a little bit of both, so to speak, in terms of the way you're handling portraiture and landscape. Again, I think it's that that approach, that idea of you know respect for the place you're in, that is what helps connect those two kinds of photographs that are in in that work. Uh, yeah, I, I hope so. Yeah, perhaps the first time I've made that direct portrait landscape, and and when I 
wrote my proposal, I actually spoke about uh, trying to combine those elements and to make something to make something new in 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 dialogue. And of course, it keeps moving and and mm-hmm. it has to keep changing as the discourse moves because it, because it's not static. How we as as image makers are able to make work is shifting and the discourse is shifting and is shifting necessarily because of, I think, probably because of the internet as much as anything, because of Hmm. the velocity of the way that pictures are received and transmitted and there's no distance, there's no distance anymore. And I think that velocity absolutely characterizes our contemporary society. It's absolutely compressed. And um, there's no distance anymore. And time. There's no time. <laughs> and, 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 there's, and there's absolutely no time. How we navigate that and how we are able to speak about the world when things are moving so fast and be sure that we, that we are still speaking about present. I mean, we are also addressing the past and memory. But of course, in particular, the work in Jackson, because so many things were always things are happening, of course. But uh, mm-hmm. so many things happened in, in that particular year. So many extraordinary things happened in, in that in a way, we can always look at every every year and say that was an extraordinary year. But, but perhaps the the very significant thing, of course, was the death of my father, and also the murder of a young African American teenager, Trayvon Martin. So those two very significant things in in my life, and of course in relation to addressing, and in fact. The murder of this 17-year-old boy was the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement. And we were there mm-hmm. as witness to that. And although we can speak about Frank's America and, and, and he spoke about a particular time and, and his own position, but Frank's work, of course, was characterized as a as a road trip. And, of course, it was a road trip. But, you know, we were really following... What was happening? Of course, every work you make, you discover things about yourself. But um, a road trip, per se, is is much more about an adventure. And and that absolutely wasn't my intention. You know, I, I, I was interested and um, connected to what was happening. So, of course, it, we began, and, and again, I, George and I traveled together, um, it began at the beginning of the Republican primaries and ended with the re-election of Barack Obama. And mm-hmm. we followed all of that. And it was the, the year of the um, Occupy Wall Street. We visited several Occupy Wall Street camps. And then when the death of Trayvon Martin, we, we followed that. Mm. We, we went to to Miami where his family were from and so in a sense we were really addressing contemporary America and listening 
as well to other things that people were saying to us, people were telling us. And so you, it's a, a chain of, of following what people are saying. So you're following links and chains of things happening. And, of, and we had been told about um, a place where um, a young man, Matthew Shepard, had been murdered. And we mm-hmm. going to research that, to consider what it was that had led to that brutal murder again. Um, and of course, with the death of my father, I was trying to connect to the things that had been important to him. And I came across the work of a writer called Richard Powers, uh, his book Echo Maker, which used birds as a, a way to speak about contemporary America. And these birds, these sandhill cranes, were some of the oldest birds who, um, who have this migratory path. And, and, and so it's about memory. And the, the protagonist of the, the novel loses his memory. And so throughout the book, it's speaking about how contemporary America has, has lost its memory, if you like, and using these extraordinary creatures to address that, the fact that there's so little evidence of um, First Nation people and, and, and how, and of course, you know, British people had colonized. And so considering memory and, and tying that in with thinking about my father and my father had been an amateur ornithologist. And so oh. in a way to keep connection with, with my father, I went in search for these extraordinary creatures as a way to be connected to his memory, if you like. I mean, there's a, there's a lot that you just went through that, that became part of this work. And what I mm-hmm. struck by is your ability to respond to what was actually happening as opposed to what you thought you would find when you got here. And that's, that requires a, a, an openness. That requires an openness to, to let go even of what, what you thought you were going to do. No, I, 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 absolutely. And I think that if we, if we don't do that, then, um, then what's the point? And of course, you go with a, with a whole spectrum of, of, of secondhand <laughs> information, little facts and little fictions and all of the things that you think, well, you know, this is America. And of course, it's an absurdity to say this is America. It's 50 states with... Mm-hmm. <laughs> different histories and to be able to be receptive and willing to we have we have to do that i was thinking about that while you were speaking too because we a modern american culture not only now has short memory of our history a short memory of what has already happened we also have the ability now to collectively believe something didn't happen, uh, which is worse, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you know, we're heading down that that path. Yeah. The other thing that, that you mentioned is... Memory denied. A, yes, and a denial, exactly. The other thing is, you know, you, you set out to connect people and the landscape in this work, mm-hmm. a sense of place. When you were talking about Trayvon Martin, 
Trayvon Martin was killed because he was in a place that others thought he didn't belong. I know. And that that whole idea of people and their their sense of home and belonging uh, that just really struck me, and uh, it makes the the underlying part of that story so painful. Yes, it, it's one of the big questions. Yeah. So she dances on Jackson was was a proposal that you submitted for the Brisson Award. Uh, Snow, on the other hand, wasn't an assignment, but maybe the the sort of kernel of it started with an assignment. Is that right? Do I have that right? Yeah. Snow began as a as an assignment, and I don't do many assignments. I, d- I don't accept <laughs> many assignments, and um, I think perhaps in the in the early days, I probably would have liked assignments, but they didn't. They didn't come to me, and and so so what do you, what do you do? You sort of sit and wait for an assignment to to come. Of course, they don't, and and so I continued to work anyway. I was less and less interested in accepting assigned work. And there are people that do assignments wonderfully, sure. absolutely, extraordinarily well. I'm not sure I'm one of them, but I... I, I, I <laughs> what, what was the assignment? The, okay, so the, the, the assignment essentially was in two geographical locations. It was to document the, the movement of the Amish community leaving from Ohio to, to holiday in Florida. And so I was to go and visit, first of all, Ohio, and then travel by bus with the community to a little place called Pinecraft, which is where some members of the Amish community holiday, essentially. Historically, they when they first came to the States, they for whatever reason, ended up in some groups, ended up in, in Ohio. But um, needing and wanting to find crops that could be produced year-round. And so citrus fruit were were not something that had been produced by the Amish community where they originally came from. But salad products could be grown there. And so that's why historically there was this connection with with Florida. And so my assignment was to follow this journey from Ohio to to Florida and to photograph the landscape of where they lived for most of the year and then the landscape of Florida, which is by the sea, of course. And because the commission had been by Mare, which is a magazine who focuses primarily on the sea. And they had been the publisher of my first book, um, Schwarzismier, which is the Black Sea. Mm-hmm. And so that's the reason I accept assignment from, from Mare. And so their interest was, I think, mostly about the, the time in this little community called Pinecraft and to, to picture people on holiday, essentially, it was a complicated assignment for me on a personal level for a number of reasons. But um, I think partly because, and not entirely, but partly because I would be returning to working observationally. And of course, I can do that and I, and I can do it very well, as I 
said to you, but making a portrait is something that is, for the Amish community, is considered vain. Mm. And so although it's acceptable and that one might picture their lives and, and there had been a conversation about our joining the community to make this work in a way and an, an agreed acceptance that okay so we're okay if you just if we don't know that you're photographing us <laughs> if, if that oh, okay. if, if that makes sense so so it it looks like we're not aware of you even even though even right though, and and that's and that's where it's always the case is in in a certain way is is that okay so it is acceptable that that people are interested in who we are and and our lives and so um i knew i wasn't going to be making portraits but in actual fact mm-hmm. I, I i did make portraits when i was in florida i made a number of portraits but they didn't fit what the magazine wanted but anyway over and above that i i wasn't able to to make the picture they wanted and the image they wanted was a picture they knew existed um was of of young people going in the sea for the first time so an idea of going from one place to another so in in a sense it's like a, a city child or right a person from from the city going to a farm for the first time right or or going to the seaside for the for the first time it's that is that extraordinary experience mm-hmm. but more specifically that that it should be whilst said wearing the clothes that they wear right and if of course if you google that picture you can find it <laughs> but i was able to make pictures that i felt were respectful of people paddling mm-hmm. in the water but it wasn't really what they were looking for they wanted <laughs> and so i i came back to britain and and i looked at what i had and i knew it wasn't what they wanted and so under my own steam i i went back to to florida and i went back to ohio and i went back to ohio alone I wanted and needed to go back because I was disquieted by what I felt and what I had seen and what I had witnessed. You return in the winter to to provide continuity from where you left off, right? Exactly, exactly. It's so uh, so as if by going back in the same weather conditions, it would allow me to answer for myself some of the questions that I had had. So what did you come to understand about this sort of um, disquiet that you felt uh, about the place? Um, I think something about an absolute need to to talk, to speak to a stranger, and in a way, having a camera facilitates that. You're making connections and, and over and over and over again... I'm driving and walking into a landscape, and and I'm, of course, I'm talking to people. It it almost sounds like you were also, in some ways, kind of making amends for being there, trying to do something that really wasn't you. Does that make sense? Um, Perhaps so. 
Yes, perhaps so. For your own self, yeah. But it's but it also is about the urgency to speak. The need to to do that is is so profound. You you mentioned that um there was this polar vortex while you were there, but it's not necessarily evident as much in the photos. What what is evident in the photos? It it looks like there's a bit of a seasonal transition. It looks like things are somewhat uh, there are photos definitely where things look very frozen and very cold, but also then photos where things look like they're thawing out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while there's there's no foliage on the trees and then everything is still very brown and gray, mm-hmm. there is this mist and this sense of uh, of the ice thawing mm-hmm. in the photos. Mm-hmm. And there are color photos. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there are color photos sometimes with black and white photos and sometimes by themselves or next to text mm-hmm. as well. That was a, another. Uh, that was yet another way that you are working that is different from previous work, combining these color photos with black and white photos. I know you've made color photos <laughs> before, but, but this is, mm-hmm. is this the first time beyond the, the retrospective work that we see the color and the black and white as one idea? Mm-hmm. I I think that um, in a, in a certain way, in fact, because I was working with a digital camera, it actually meant that it was possible for me to mm. to look at that what I made in both black and white and color, and it wasn't conscious strategy to do that, and until it came to the process of putting the work together meaning that I ended up inviting a, a writer, Jem Poster, who's a, a, a novelist and a poet, who was somebody I knew from being a teenager or being a, a 20-year-old woman, came to my hometown as an archaeologist and stayed with us. And um, I ended up asking him, first of all, I thought that I would perhaps attempt to to write something my, myself about the encounters that I had, but it there felt to be an urgency to complete the work. And we spoke about my experience and my experience more generally, historically, as a photographer working in the world, because that's what I do. And based on what I had told him, he came up with this piece of prose. And um, once I received his text, we shifted, in fact, the the sequence of of the work. And so what we have physically is the text is woven within the body of the the first part of the work, weaving through the the pages, and then stops with the section with the with the Amish community, and and mm. and so it felt very important that we keep it separate, that that it in a way a, a piece that stands alone, and if you like, we use the device of a of different paper stock to do that so there's no question as a reader that these are separate 
separate entities. And so we have this this different stock of paper. We have this fictional piece that is about a photographer making portraits. Yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, with uh, someone who is a bit hesitant to have their portrait made. And you have the black and white photos and the color photos and the, you know, there's there's these layers mm-hmm. where the the book changes as you're going through it as well. Mm-hmm. So is this is this all about the idea of a way of of stimulating different senses as you're looking through the book and it's a way of sort of creating this larger portrait of this place and in a way you're you're asking the the reader the viewer to to also put together these puzzle pieces and come away with a a portrait of a of people in place yes portrait yeah portrait landscape it's a yes what's what's a landscape and what's a portrait it's a Vertical and horizontal, but but yeah, absolutely. There, you know, so there are an attempt to address people and place because mm-hmm. it creates a kind of energy having the having text and photo and then black and white and color and then touching paper that feels different mm-hmm. as you're turning through, right? It, uh-huh. it sort of enlivens the senses as you're mm-hmm. as you're flipping through the book. And of course, it's it's a notebook as well, so it's that's right. It, um, that's right. It considers notes and musicality in a way and sound so when you when you have the sound of the silence and sound of snow and you have Mm -hmm. the sound of the movement of horses and the the sound and rhythm of the auction house and uh and that extraordinary rhythm of the of the of the auction house was was really something mesmerizing. Mm. Well, I want to thank you for being so generous with your time and while you're away, mm. and for recording with me. You know, I hope you have a safe and uh, warm time out there. I hope. <laughs> thank you. you it's know, winters. I, winters upon us. Yes, uh, and uh, you know, maybe. Maybe you'll uh, visit the States again. Hope so. With another idea. Yes. I hope so. I have an idea. <laughs> but, uh, oh, that's excellent. Oh, so, what, um, a great, what a great tease. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, sorry. Sorry. No I, no, I have an idea. Maybe it's the worst thing to <laughs> Yeah, I have an idea. But, no, really. <laughs> no, I think that's exciting. Yes. Thank you so, so much for, for inviting me. Oh, it's my honor. Uh, absolutely. All right. Well, bye for now. And uh, thank you again. Okay. Thank you, Michael. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Real Photo Show is produced by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton. Music by Matteo Chauvin Dalton. You can find bonus content from the show on our YouTube channel. Just search for Real Photo Show. The podcast can be found on all your favorite podcast players. And please rate the show with all the stars available on your preferred player. 